Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Chapter 7. The Solution. Next morning after breakfast, we found Inspector MacDonald and White Mason seated in close consultation in the small parlor of the local police sergeant. On the table in front of them were piled a number of letters and telegrams, which they were carefully sorting and docketing. Three had been placed on one side. Still on the track of the elusive bicyclist, Holmes asked cheerfully, what is the latest news of the ruffian? MacDonald pointed ruefully to his heap of correspondence. He is at present reported from Nottingham, Southampton, Derby, East Ham, Richmond, and 14 other places. In three of them, there is a clear case against him, and he has actually been arrested. The country seems to be full of the fugitives with yellow coats. Dear me, said Holmes sympathetically, now, Mr. Mack, and you, Mr. White Mason, I wish to give you a very earnest piece of advice. When I went into this case with you, I bargained, as you will no doubt remember, that I should not present you with half-proved theories, but that I should retain and work out my own ideas until I had satisfied myself that they were correct. For this reason, I am not at the present moment telling you all that is in my mind. On the other hand, I said that I would play the game fairly by you, and I do not think it is a fair game to allow you for one unnecessary moment to waste your energies upon a profitless task. Therefore, I am here to advise you this morning, and my advice to you is summed up in three words. Abandon the case. MacDonald and White Mason stared in amazement at their celebrated colleague. You consider it hopeless, cried the inspector. I consider your case to be hopeless, I do not consider that it is hopeless to arrive at the truth. But this cyclist, he is not an invention. We have his description, his valise, his bicycle. The fellow must be somewhere. Why should we not get him? Yes, yes, no doubt he is somewhere, and no doubt we shall get him. But I would not have you waste your energies in East Ham or Liverpool. I am sure that we can find some shorter cut to a result. You are holding something back. It's hardly fair of you, Mr. Holmes. The inspector was annoyed. You know my methods of work, Mr. Mack, but I will hold it back for the shortest time possible. I only wish to verify my details in one way, which can very readily be done, and then I make my bow and return to London, leaving my result entirely at your service. I owe you too much to act otherwise. For in all my experience, I cannot recall any more singular and interesting study. This is clear beyond me, Mr. Holmes. We saw you when we returned from Tunbridge Wells last night, and you were in general agreement with our results. What has happened since then to give you a completely new idea of the case? 
"'Well, since you ask me, "'I spent, as I told you that I would, "'some hours last night at the manor house.' "'Well, what happened?' "'Ah, uh, I can only give you a very general answer to that for the moment. "'By the way, I have been reading a short but clear and interesting account of the old building, "'purchasable at the modest sum of one penny from the local tobacconist. "'Here Holmes drew a small tract, "'embellished with a rude engraving of the ancient manor house, "'from his waistcoat pocket. "'It immensely adds to the zest of the investigation, my dear Mr. Mack, when one is in conscious sympathy with the historical atmosphere of one's surroundings. Don't look so impatient, for I assure you that even so bald an account as this raises some sort of picture of the past in one's mind. Permit me to give you an example. Erected in the fifth year of the reign of James I, and standing upon the site of a much older building, the manor house of Beerlstone presents one of the finest surviving examples "'of the moated Jacobean residence. "'You are making fools of us, Mr. Holmes. "'Tut-tut, Mr. Mack. "'The first sign of temper I have detected in you. "'Well, I won't read it verbatim, "'since you feel so strongly upon the subject. "'But when I tell you that there is some account "'of the taking of the place "'by a parliamentary colonel in 1644, "'of the concealment of Charles "'for several days in the course of the Civil War,' and finally of a visit there by the second George, you will admit that there are various associations of interest connected with this ancient house. I don't doubt it, Mr. Holmes, but that is no business of ours. Is it not? Is it not? Breath of you, my dear Mr. Mack, is one of the essentials of our profession. The interplay of ideas and the oblique uses of knowledge are often of extraordinary interest. You will excuse these remarks from one who, though a mere connoisseur of crime, is still rather older and perhaps more experienced than yourself. I'm the first to admit that, said the detective heartily. You get to your point, I admit, but you have such a deuced round-the-corner way of doing it. Well, well, I'll drop past history and get down to present-day facts. I called last night, as I have already said, at the manor house. I did not see either Barker or Mrs. Douglas. I saw no necessity to disturb them, but I was pleased to hear that the lady was not visibly pining, and that she had partaken of an excellent dinner. My visit was specially made to the good Mr. Ames, with whom I exchanged some amiabilities, which culminated in his allowing me, without reference to anyone else, to sit alone for a time in the study. "'What? With that?' I ejaculated. "'No, no. Everything is now in order. You gave permission for that, Mr. Mack, as I am informed.' The room was in its normal state, and in it I passed an instructive quarter of an hour. What were you doing? Well, not to make a mystery of so simple a matter, I was looking for the missing dumbbell. It has always bulked rather large in my estimate of the case. I ended by finding it. Where? Ah, there we come to the edge of the unexplored. Let me go a little further. "'A very little further, and I will promise that you shall share everything that I know.' "'Well, we're bound to take you on your own terms,' said the inspector. "'But when it comes to telling us to abandon the case, "'why in the name of goodness should we abandon the case?' "'For the simple reason, my dear Mr. Mack, "'that you have not got the first idea what it is that you are investigating. "'We are investigating the murder of Mr. John Douglas of Burlstone Manor.' 
Yes, yes, so you are. But don't trouble to trace the mysterious gentleman upon the bicycle. I assure you that it won't help you. Then what do you suggest that we do? I will tell you exactly what to do, if you will do it. Well, I'm bound to say I've always found you had reason behind all your queer ways. I'll do what you advise. And you, Mr. White Mason? The country detective looked helplessly from one to the other. Holmes and his methods were new to him. Well, if it is good enough for the inspector, it is good enough for me, he said at last. Capital, said Holmes. Well, then, I should recommend a nice, cheery country walk for both of you. They tell me that the views from Beerlstone Ridge over the Weald are very remarkable. No doubt lunch could be got at some suitable hostelry, though my ignorance of the country prevents me from recommending one. In the evening, tired but happy... Man, this is getting past a joke, cried MacDonald, rising angrily from his chair. Well, I'll spend the day as you like, said Holmes, patting him cheerfully upon the shoulder. Do what you like and go where you will, but meet me here before dusk without fail. Without fail, Mr. Mack. That sounds more like sanity. All of it was excellent advice, but I don't insist so long as you're here when I need you. But now, before we part, I want you to write a note to Mr. Barker. Well, I'll dictate it if you like. Ready? Dear sir, it has struck me that it is our duty to drain the moat in the hope that we may find some... It's impossible, said the inspector. I've made inquiry. Tut, tut, my dear sir. Please do what I ask you. Well, go on. In the hope that we may find something which may bear upon our investigation, I have made arrangements, and the workmen will be at work early tomorrow morning diverting the stream. Impossible. Diverting the stream, so I thought it best to explain matters beforehand. Now sign that, and send it by hand about four o'clock. At that hour we shall meet again in this room. Until then we may each do what we like, for I can assure you that this inquiry has come to a definite pause. Evening was drawing in when we reassembled. Holmes was very serious in his manner, myself curious, and the detectives obviously critical and annoyed. "'Well, gentlemen,' said my friend gravely, "'I am asking you now to put everything to the test with me, "'and you will judge for yourselves whether the observations I have made "'justify the conclusions to which I have come. "'It is a chill evening, and I do not know how long our expedition may last. "'So I beg that you will wear your warmest coats. "'It is of the first importance that we should be in our places before it grows dark. "'So with your permission, we shall get started at once.' We passed along the outer bounds of the manor house park until we came to a place where there was a gap in the rails which fenced it. Through this we slipped, and then in the gathering gloom we followed Holmes until we had reached a shrubbery which lies nearly opposite to the main door and the drawbridge. The latter had not been raised. Holmes crouched down behind the screen of laurels, and we all three followed his example. Well, what do we do now? "'asked MacDonald with some gruffness. "'Possess our souls in patience "'and make as little noise as possible,' Holmes answered. "'What are we here for at all? "'I really think that you might treat us with more frankness.' "'Holmes laughed. "'Watson insists that I am the dramatist in real life,' said he. "'Some touch of the artist wells up within me "'and calls insistently for a well-staged performance.' 
Surely our profession, Mr. Mack, would be a drab and sordid one if we did not sometimes set the scene so as to glorify our results. The blunt accusation, the brutal tap upon the shoulder, what can one make of such a denouement? But the quick inference, the subtle trap, the clever forecast of coming events, the triumphant vindication of bold theories, are these not the pride and the justification of our life's work? At the present moment, you thrill with the glamour of the situation and the anticipation of the hunt. Where would be that thrill if I had been as definite as a timetable? I only ask a little patience, Mr. Mack, and all will be clear to you. Well, I hope the pride and justification and the rest of it will come before we all get our death of cold, said the London detective with comic resignation. We all had good reason to join in the aspiration, for our vigil was a long and bitter one. Slowly the shadows darkened over the long, somber face of the old house. A cold, damp reek from the moat chilled us to the bones and set our teeth chattering. There was a single lamp over the gateway and a steady globe of light in the fatal study. Everything else was dark and still. "'How long is this to last?' asked the inspector finally. "'And what is it we are watching for?' "'I have no more notion than you how long it is to last,' Holmes answered with some asperity. "'If criminals would always schedule their movements like railway trains, "'they would certainly be more convenient for all of us. "'As to what it is, we... "'Well, that's what we're watching for.' "'As he spoke, the bright yellow light in the study was obscured "'by somebody passing to and fro before it. "'The laurels among which we lay were immediately opposite the window,' and not more than a hundred feet from it. Presently, it was thrown open with a whining of hinges, and we could dimly see the dark outline of a man's head and shoulders looking out into the gloom. For some minutes, he peered forth in furtive, stealthy fashion, as one who wishes to be assured that he is unobserved. Then he leaned forward, and in the intense silence we were aware of the soft lapping of agitated water, he seemed to be stirring up the moat with something which he held in his hand. Then, suddenly, he hauled something in as a fisherman lands a fish, some large, round object, which obscured the light as it was dragged through the open casement. "'Now!' cried Holmes, "'now!' We were all upon our feet, staggering after him with our stiffened limbs, while he ran swiftly across the bridge and rang violently at the bell." There was the rasping of bolts from the other side, and the amazed Ames stood in the entrance. Holmes brushed him aside without a word, and followed by all of us, rushed into the room which had been occupied by the man whom we had been watching. The oil lamp on the table represented the glow which we had seen from outside. It was now in the hand of Cecil Barker, who held it towards us as we entered, its light shone upon his strong, resolute, clean-shaved face and his menacing eyes. "'What the devil is the meaning of all this?' he cried. "'What are you after, anyhow?' Holmes took a swift glance round and then pounced upon a sodden bundle tied together with cord which lay where it had been thrust under the writing table. "'This is what we are after, Mr. Barker. "'This bundle, weighted with a dumbbell, "'which you have just raised from the bottom of the moat.' Barker stared at Holmes with amazement in his face. 
How in thunder came you to know anything about it? he asked. Simply that I put it there. You put it there. You. Perhaps I should have said replaced it there, said Holmes. You will remember, Inspector MacDonald, that I was somewhat struck by the absence of a dumbbell. I drew your attention to it, but with the pressure of other events, you had hardly the time to give it the consideration, which would have enabled you to draw deductions from it. When water is near and a weight is missing, it is not a very far-fetched supposition that something has been sunk in the water. The idea was at least worth testing. So with the help of Ames, who admitted me to the room, and the crook of Dr. Watson's umbrella, I was able last night to fish up and inspect this bundle. It was of the first importance, however, that we should be able to prove who placed it there. This we accomplished by the very obvious device of announcing that the moat would be dried tomorrow, which had, of course, the effect that whoever had hidden the bundle would most certainly withdraw it the moment the darkness enabled him to do so. We have no less than four witnesses as to who it was who took advantage of the opportunity. And so, Mr. Barker, I think the word now lies with you. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.